This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming to the official event today. My name is Jason Kevin from Kevin's HR. Uh, this event is put on by me, Kevin's HR, hosted by Korean and Washington Maritime Blue Incubator, and sponsored by Byron Robinson and Robinson Companies. Thanks for coming. So, quick admin notes bathrooms that way to the left, plenty of pizza, beer, all that kind of stuff. For the people in the kitchen, as you know, the pizza is three minutes each. Um, and each judge will ask you one question afterwards. When you're pitching, you're pitching with the crowd, the judge also lives here, right? So you're pitching, you've got this black tape here, do not go out of the tape, right? You can go like go over here, you won't be in the camera. So make sure you stay in this black tape right here. Um, other admin notes. So um, I have my girlfriend Chancey here today. So Chancey, um, senior student from high school, captain of the track team, football team, prom king, senior class president, he was not a So please talk to him today if you can, do a personal favor. And then this one, these two people are killed me for saying this. My two nieces up here, one Ariel, she just finished 88, the Boston Academy, just for the Amazon leadership. She's looking for a first off job, job, so talk to her. My other niece, Sabrina, her and her sister, Sabrina, started some kind of design business. So I'll talk to them if you can, they'll be appreciated. Um, so next slide. So Kevin's HR, of course, I can't put an event without you know, talking about my own company, right? We're kind of dumb. So Kevin's HR, we go to HR company for 49 or fewer people. So each year, small business loses $27 million on the HR, and they waste 25% of the time on HR. Time better spent taking care of the people and the customers, all that kind of stuff. And so how can you help out? We're actually doing a crowdfunding campaign right now that starts August 1st. So links here, you know, that would be great help. And now I'm going to turn over to Karina so she talk about what she does.
who has really dedicated her time to help out with this event. And of course, to Jason and Byron for helping me co-host this. Um, I could not have done this without all of you doing this. And um, again, I wish all the founders that are pitching as well today the best of luck. And I look forward to hearing your pitch this evening. Thank you. Full disclosure, I didn't actually do much to actually put this together. I'm just financing all the <laughs> so the way I actually want to set this up, I just want to explain who I am, what my company does, because I kind of have to because I'm sponsoring it. Uh, but I actually want to talk to the founders to ask them a few questions so they can get warmed up before they actually go up there to do their pitches. Because I don't know if y'all have done um, founders live, but it kind of just throw you into the wind, like nervous out of your mouth. So I want to kind of like do the opposite of that to give you a chance to just warm up before you. Um, so I'm Byron. Robinson. I'm from Virginia. I did my freshman year at Penn State, and then uh, I transferred from Penn State to the University of Texas. You're not inside the square. Who's the team? A little bit more money, you could get a wider friend. That's the deal. Y'all look good. So I did my freshman year at Penn State and I transferred to the University of Texas. Uh, I was on track scholarship, so I'm from Virginia. Uh, so I did all this, you know, wanted to run track, was a track guy. Um, and I did well, in my opinion. So out of the house, we had a bunch of records weight and all that. Just, there's not on the real deal, you can Google it. Don't be, be asked by it, but you, you can Google it. Um, so when I got to Texas, everything just took off. It was a perfect fit for me. Uh, I love my coach. I was in a good environment. It was a good business place. It was, I'm in Austin. It's awesome. You know, it's awesome. Um, and then everything just took off. So I made a 2016 Olympic team. And then I ran one more year at Texas. So after 2017, I never graduated. Um, I think I was six credits shot. I'm going to circle back to that later to explain why I didn't graduate. Um, so I went on to run for Adidas. And while I was a professional athlete for Adidas, as if I wasn't impressed with myself already. I decided to go ahead and start an investment day. And all that means is that we just brokered money. It sounds fancy than what it is. Um, I just read a lot, so I have a photographic memory, and that, that was some good tailwinds, no pun intended, to, to actually like help me to start this thing. Um, why did I even choose to start an investment bank? Well, while I was running track from Penn State to Texas, I had maybe 15 uh, startup ideas that failed. I was just a guy with a bunch of ideas. I would read Ink Magazine and just try some shit. Yeah, none of it worked. And I didn't have like the, I, I, didn't, I didn't have the consistency to stick it through anyway. I mean, I was a professional athlete. So like, if, if there is an excuse, it would be that. And I just professional athlete, I ran a 400 hurdles. So like, that's, I did the hardest event, like the hardest sport. So like, you know, come this was left. Um, so I realized I wasn't like an innovative guy. I mean, I am to a certain degree. I, I can think outside the box, but like, I'm not like you guys. Not by any stretch. Um, I'm not gonna come up with an idea to change the world. All I have is maybe a little bit of charisma, uh, a good build, at least for the time being. <laughs> um, and I knew I've always had a passion, uh, oddly enough, and an interest on how to put together a deal. I always loved every, any baking movie you, you can name, I've already seen it. I love everything about it. I feel like I was born in Wall Street, just happened to be in the South. And it's what I was interested in. Like the numbers made sense to me. And all the moving parts of how to put it together made sense to me as well. 
And um, so from that point, we just figured out how to actually start the company. And I'm telling you this part because we have founders here and you have to be resourceful and industrious to actually like put together a company anyway. Um, if you really think about investment banking, you're going to get intimidated because you're going to see a, a lot of regulations and you're going to use a lot, of, a lot of terminology you're just not used to. Uh, and that's still the case, even for me. I, I literally run one with 37 people now. And even I don't know all this shit. I see some sometimes I'm like, I need to get a guy that actually knows what this means. <laughs> Go about it that way. Um, so it's very intimidating, but I had to break it down into a way that made sense to me. And what that is, is literally it's just taking money from over here, moving it over there, getting a fee for it. I mean, we just keep it simple. That's what it is. I can put on a suit and like sauce it up for you, but that's really what it is. Um, so that's what I did. So I was in Texas. I hit the ground running. I, I would leave uh, tri practice in that hot Texas sun and literally Google any bank or credit union or private money source in the state of Texas. Call them up. Ask them what they do. Uh, I was stumbled through the conversation at first. And it was a shit show, to be quite honest with you. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know what questions to ask. And I got hung up on a lot, but I, I kept learning and I kept, I kept, I kept trying again. I called the new number or I called the old number again, pretend to be somebody else, and kind of just get it going that way. Um, so congruent with that, I was going to any meetup, or I would look on a meetup to find any kind of event such as this uh, to meet people, to get clients. Because well, in my mind, it's like, okay, well, this is easy. It's just, Call the banks, get the clients. <clears throat> and from that, I started a multi million dollar company because it really is that something. Um, my first deal was actually with someone in my training group uh, while I was still in Texas. It was a multi fan, it, it was a four unit uh, for 945 grand. Got my first check for nine point, uh, let's say 9,500. Not a lot of money, but you're in the game then. I, I don't know about y'all, but if I smack down 10 grand right now, I think you're taking it. So I was like, this is easier to try. So let me try to get another one. Uh, and I built up slowly uh, a book of business that way. Uh, so I'm, I'm really fast forwarding past a lot because you know I can tell you about all like the, the, the embarrassing parts in it, but you know the hair part. Um, built it up to the point until today. So it's almost five years ago today. We grew a lot. So we have 37 people now. Uh, we have a consultant on as well. And starting mid Q4 of this year, uh, a full-fledged asset management arm. Um, so that's what we do. We started as a real estate loan brokerage, and now we are uh, everything from a startup up to a, a lower middle market uh, investment bank. We find the debt and the equity for you guys. Super simple. If you need money, you come and give us a call. Uh, to that end, before I, I get into the next part, does anybody have a question about that? What are you, what's your track record been like with startups like over the last year or two years? Most startups we've been turning down because um, we don't want to waste your time. And if we don't think we can reasonably get that money for you, we just let you know up front. Um, we, we tend to do more consulting for startups than actually taking them on to try to find the money. Um, you know what the market is. We know what the market is. And it, it'd be better if we just told you up front than to try to sell you a dream and then uh, get a bad word of mouth that way. Anybody else? What's up? What are you looking for? In regards to what? Business. It depends what's out there. 
I mean, ideally, as long as the company has some kind of revenue, um, we can get some kind of money for them. It wouldn't matter the industry as well. Uh, it just has to be a company, literally, with an LLC or some kind of corporation, uh, with some kind of revenue. A balance sheet would help, but um, that's good enough for us to get started. It's, it's the pre-revenue companies that you're just going to have an issue with. Um, to be quite frank with you, unless it's something that's truly unique, that, that really stands out, uh, and I mean truly, not just in your head, I mean truly, then you kind of, you're playing the slots kind of in the sense. Um, you can win, but get me wrong, uh, there are a lot of winners, but we're not in the gambling game. Uh, maybe in the future though, but we'll, we'll pick that back up. What's up? Um, what is success? Success? Personally? Or personally and also in the companies. Um, <laughs> make money. <laughs> I mean, all right, so let me start with me personally. I want to be the absolute best in everything that I do. So success for me, uh, in, okay, let's just start with the company, sorry. Success for my company will be the next Goldman Sachs. Uh, mixed with like a JP Morgan, is you know, something like that. Uh, that's what success will look like for, for the company. For me, can I be honest? I want to be in the upper echelons of uh, the greatest American CEOs. So I want to be held in the same conversation as uh, Larry Fink, Jamie Dimon, Steven Schwarzman, you know, like those types. Uh, and to be quite candid with you as a black man, um, I don't I want to go up there and say like, hey, I'm a black guy doing it with these guys, but I don't know if you can tell, but I'm black and handsome. So <laughs> I want to be able to do, to do that and be in that kind of conversation. Um, I don't, so I don't know where you're from, but so in, I find a lot of times in the black community, you will, I mean, we have our heroes and like people that, you know, a lot of black people know in the community. But you always come across, whether as a kid or just on Twitter doing random stuff or whatever, you run across like a random fact, a random line about this one black person that did something phenomenal that you just didn't know about. I want that to be me and my family, uh, except it be specific to banking. So like, I, I want someone to come across my name a thousand years from now and to say, wow, that black man started an investment bank at 25 and went on to become a billionaire. Like, if, and he didn't know what he was doing. So, <laughs> you kind of just had an idea to hire the right people. If, if he can do that, then what can I not do? You know? Um, so that's what success would look like for me. You caught me off guard with that too. So it was a really good question. So, so where does that take you then? What's next? What's your why? What will you do with that? Or is it your why? Is it purpose to be a shining star for others. Can you rephrase it? What's your why? So slow. What, what's your purpose? What's your why? I want to have a uh, a multi generational uh, investment banking conglomerate ran by my family. So my why is so that my kids, 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 kids. kids can run the company into the future uh, and finance the world. By the way, I normally wear black shirts, so like, you gotta beat me to it today. I literally like always only wear black shirts. Awesome. Uh, 
Um, but no, so that, that is my why. Uh, it just happens, so my why just happens to be in a way that actually works for other people. Because when you give people money, they tend to be happy. And, yeah. You just start. Right here. How do you keep cash? Am I going or? You oh, sweet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How do you keep the marathon going? How do you keep morale high? Most my people? You and your. Listen. I just got it. I, I, don't, I don't want to lie to you. I just, I just, I just got the stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a motivated guy. Um, I, just, I don't know. I get up and get after it. Now there are days like, okay, all right. Can I be candid with y'all? Yeah, are you judging? So like, there are days that aren't as good as other. There are highs and lows. Like literally, I'm going through a pseudo breakup right now. Like literally, happened last night. So like, I woke up this morning and I'm like. You know, I'm doing all that stuff. You, you know what that's about. Right? And so there, there are days like that. But to be honest with you, so like in, in my company in particular, my president of the capital markets, his name is Marty, seeing the progress, like seeing how he bought in day one and the progress that he has made since then to now and how he's been able to actually take care of his family off of the execution of this idea, it makes it all worth it. So... While there are days where I'm not feeling like myself, myself, which is still exceptional in my opinion, but even on those days, to 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 know that I'm not doing it really for myself, it it makes it worth it. That's how I kind of can, can slug through those kind of days. Because I mean, that's what you have a team for. Because when a leader is taking a step back, which you shouldn't do much, but whenever they do, you gotta have a team to pull you up. In. And so I'm, I'm I'm lucky in that respect. You have a flip phone too. I do, yeah. I also got a staff phone in my bag. I was going to get a flip phone, probably that same exact one because I want to have a burner phone. No, it's it's amazing. 20 bucks. Thank you, job. Yeah, I wouldn't have a burner phone so I can say I have a burner phone. All this I can see a little bit minutes, which is a problem. So. Yeah, I like it. Thanks. What's up? So, what's your deal appetite level? Is it 5 million, 10 million? So, we advertise, yeah, we advertise one to 100 mil. But to be quite honest with so actually, I'll tell you all the good stuff. So right now, um, the main investment bank, Robson & Co. Banking, does 1 to 100 mil. We will go below that, but like we want to play at 1 to 100 mil. Um, as early as last week, I'm actually starting, I've started a, a second investment bank. It's a, it's a JV with a business partner. Uh, this is called Robson & Paul. And it'll be everything 100 mil on up. Uh, it'll be completely from private money sources, so no institutional money. Uh, all off-market deals, and um, so yeah, so that second one's 100 million up, the one that you know about today is one to 100 million. Can I have a follow-up Yeah, next one. Opportunity zones, have you done any pursuit on the investment in real estate zones? For real estate? Real estate, commercial property, venture. We don't refiles, but um, only to the extent. Okay. I haven't had access to it really. To be yeah, I mean, we, we can do them, don't get me wrong, just uh, a lot of them have not came in, like, came in the door. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Well, they're easy, too. I'd like to talk to you. We're going to talk to you. I'm going to find you. Real estate are, are the easiest deals to do. So, like, you make less money on it because it's only at a point, but it's, it's a real asset, so like, it's, it's always easy to do. It's, um, it's the most financeable asset in the world.
Byron, can you tell us the companies you're working with right now? No. So all the companies, sorry. No. All, 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 if you look at our website, you'll see, you'll see, you may, if you look hard enough actually, because I, I like buried it in here. If you look at our website, you may see transaction styles from deals before, but we sign NDAs with every single one of our clients. So like, an investment banking, it doesn't work that way. Um, you're finding a venture capital. In that, in that space. It may be like a, just a general investment company. But to your, I can't remember who asked the question, but um, we don't invest it on our own book. So that's why you won't find deals that we actually do on our website. Today, by the way, we don't invest in our own book today. That's coming. Where are the, um, the media questions, though? Nobody asks about like the dog days of starting a company. That's close for living. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean on that? Can you expand? Linema? Yeah. I, I, I don't know every presenter here tonight, but we're living the dog days of starting up a country. Mm. Right? We're, we're making the product happen. Yeah. We're yeah. trying to reach out every day and get believers. I'm happy that you said that, though, because a part of the story, at least for me, of starting this company, I don't talk about because, like, I'm Olympian and at the time I was driving a BMW and it's just not the coolest thing in the world to talk about. But there was a stretch where like I had stopped running track completely and I was doing this full time and the deals were just slow. So guess what I did to keep the money coming in? Take one guess. I would never get a job. <laughs> I would get fired. <laughs> I think we all do that. <laughs> no, it was Uber. It was specifically DoorDash though. Uh, I was door dashing my ass off. And this is how I broke it down. And so, to the founders, I'm happy to have saying this too because you gotta be industrious and be resourceful. It was like this, okay, how much money can I make an hour? Like, best case scenario, doing door dash. I'm thinking $30, somewhere around there. I'm not gonna average that, but it'll be somewhere around there. Okay, cool. Let's shoot for 20 to 25. And let's keep it like within a two hour radius so I don't burn a lot of gas. I am driving a BMW. How many of these can I do in a day and still get as much reading as I possibly can and still go to meetups? Um, average it out by the week. It was anywhere from seven hundred to basically nine hundred dollars. Um, if, if you're going to do this, trust me, you got a lot of work ahead of you. You got to hustle your ass off. It's not easy. Um, but if you have that kind of cash flow coming in, not a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Like one deal that I will close would easily clear all of that, like four months. But if you don't have a deal coming in, good luck. So that's what you've got to do to kind of get, get the ball rolling sometimes and um, start your company. Byron, to build off of that, since I work with entrepreneurs on a, on a you know, daily basis, what would you say your best piece of advice would be? And then you can be as vulnerable as you want, because as an example with me, right, like founders will come to me either saying like they didn't get the investment that they wanted or... Um, a partnership, you know, that they thought was going to come through, right, didn't end up coming through, or they were looking to pursue another educational program in addition to ours, and they might have gotten denied for it. So what would you say, like coming from you directly, your best piece of advice for either anybody that's going through this process now or somebody that's looking to become an entrepreneur themselves? You should, yeah. Um, thanks for that too. You should find ways to generate cash flow um, day one. And I just expect uh, a VC or an angel to subsidize like your company. 
Because that time that you're you're uh, really wasting looking for that money, you could be spent right on the actual profitable business model. Because um, it is a business, right? If if you remove any kind of access to capital uh, from a VC or an angel, how's your business going to make money anyway? So you should be focused on that. Um, not getting investment is not a it's not an excuse to not to not start a company. It's, I mean, it's going to be harder for you to get me wrong, but and, and to be quite honest with you, if you don't even get that investment and you still get to the point that your your company is even moderately successful, you learn so many more skills in the company that actually get that investment early. It's like sugar. Like you can give sugar to kids early, but it might end up fat later. It's the same exact model. Um, I, to, to piggyback on that, too, to what I just said, I would not... Um, I would not... I would not go into the space expecting people to do things for you either. If you get money, cool. I mean, that's great. You should brag about it. You should be your LinkedIn post and everything. Um, I mean, talk to like Pablo over here and get you right. You know, if you get money, get, get your money. But, but if not, it's not the end of the world for you. It's not going to be an excuse for you not to, to be successful. I mean, uh, to be quite honest with you, it doesn't hold much weight for me because I started an investment bank off of DoorDash. So, what's your excuse? How did you handle the adversity? How did you decide how fast it's going to be? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's entrepreneurship. It's right in uncertainty. I'm, I have a really good risk tolerance. Like, I'm perfectly fine, like, giving up the nice car, the nice crib, literally sleeping on the floor, and putting all my money into the company. Like, I'm perfectly fine doing that. I have no issue. I have, I have no pride in that respect. Literally, everything outside of that, I'm very proud of. It. But for that, I'll just throw it all out. Um, but I live my life on the gas. So I just think that um, I'm constantly uncomfortable. I mean, in a weird way, I'm only comfortable when I'm uncomfortable. Um, it's the, it's, I, don't, I don't really know how to answer the question like, um, fully because it's my only way of thinking. Like, I only think scale. And as far as you said, you're on the gas all the time. Is there any time in the pledge? Like, how do you yeah. capture this problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it every day. I, I incorporate it into like my actual work day. Um, do, does anybody here know powerless? Okay, cool. Go and say some new shit. I want to be new for you. Um, I, didn't, I didn't expect to talk this long, too, so sorry about that. Every day, I literally only do five things like to push, my, to push the company forward. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. I literally only do five things. It could be five meetings. It could be five anything, actually. Um, one of which is actual, um, like, strategizing. So I'll say I block an hour off. I'm just thinking, reading, jotting down stuff, and, like, planning. So that's kind of where I, I do, I think, what you're, you're speaking to, to reflect. Um, but, yeah, every, every day, that's how I'm able to get shit done, to be quite honest with you. Because especially after you start hiring people. Because once you start hiring people, you can specialize certain tasks, certain people. It, it frees you up to do more. You, I mean, as the, in my opinion, as the CEO, you should be the GM calling plays. Like you're a coach, you're not like some big boss man doing weird stuff and being authoritarian. You, your job is to be the coach and the leader. And it, your, your, your job is to answer who, what, when, why, and how, uh, and in what direction, and then get everybody on the same page to do that thing. Um, and as you hire more people, you can do a better job of actually doing that because you, you get less tied up in the day-to-day. -day. 
um, is now like five, five critical things for me three years ago is very different than it is today. Because three years ago, it'd be meet with these four clients, spend two hours following up on emails. You know, that'd be my five things. Today is much different. It's like have a meeting with my head over here, go talk to a lawyer about this, um, uh, go, go meet with his family office to talk about this new line of business, um, strategize, and I don't know, the workouts. It has to be specific to you. So don't do what I did. All right, just, I get my shit done. So, Bryce, I'm curious, can you do something new or, or oh, sorry, uh, and push and challenge yourself? What are your sanity checks? Sanity checks? Yeah, your sanity checks. What's a sanity check? Um, like, almost like a check and balance. Like, hey, you realize that if you cross this line, then you potentially are going somewhere red, going somewhere that you should bounce back yeah, I don't have one. I'm always offside. I'm always doing something wrong. I just accept it. I don't even, I don't even think. I expect to do something wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have a sanity check. I just do stuff. I don't. I don't. I don't think. Like I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my, you know, the hour thing. I don't spend a lot of time like reflect, like over analyzing my decisions. I will think about it. I'm like, okay, let's weigh the pros and cons. Fuck it, we just do it. If it doesn't work, we'll pivot. But that's it. That's a decision right there. I don't. I don't. I don't. I call it hate on myself. I don't hate on myself. I don't. I don't. I don't block my own shots. Like I don't spend a lot of time like what if, what if, what if. I'm just like we're just gonna do it and we'll see what happens. I caution you to be that way. By the way, you may be able to get more done. The, the for founders, um, the moment you stop judging yourself so hard, you be able to actually get things done. Because probably the biggest thing holding you back right now is your opinion of what someone else's opinion is going to be of you. Let's be honest. And if you can get over that, you'll focus more on actually like taking action and doing stuff, and you actually start getting stuff done. That requires getting on social media, stop doing the LinkedIn posts, uh, stop doing all the stuff, start getting busy. Be quite honest with you. Um, any other questions? What's your, what was your biggest hurdle? Mentally. Uh, no pun intended. I had a <laughs> um, Kind of, oh, yeah, no, it's easy. My biggest hurdle was like zero in on like what I actually wanted to do. Because remember, before I was I was a startup guy, I was, every week I had a different idea. And it wasn't until I was like, okay, I'm going to focus in on this no matter what. No matter what. Because when the deal slowed down, I had a uh, eat a slice of humble pie and DoorDash while I still grew the company. And that, like in that period, I felt like a loser, by the way. So like, <laughs> just imagine that. Like, you feel like a loser, just be honest. Like, I, I'll get in late, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Shit sucks, you know? Looking at my DoorDash app, I'm like, it, it sucks, right? Um, but you, you, gotta, you gotta push through those kind of moments. Um, so my biggest hurdle was finding like zeroing in on what I actually wanted to do and get past the part that the, the, the sucky part, the the part where you don't have a lot of people cheering for you. You know, there's no one saying good job, or it's just it's just you, your plan, and God. And you just gotta figure it out. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, you have a company? Yes. What company? Black Muse Virtual. Oh, oh yes. I can't wait to, to, to see you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. How did you get started? This 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 transition to you guys. Uh, well, I I started three years ago. Uh, I set out to be a life coach originally, and I was going state to state. My father had just passed, and so I started going state to state to pick up clients. And sure enough, I started picking up clients in California, and then I made it to Washington. I only planned to stay here, because I was going state to state, only planned to stay here for a month or two. I ended up getting a contract with the state uh, Depart- uh, Department of Vocational Rehabilitation, um, and I started doing life coaching at the Echo Glen Children's Center. Um, then the Metaverse came out, and a month after the Metaverse came out, after like doing at least 100 hours of research, um, a month after that, I created a, a course, a program. And uh, six months later, I got two courses uh, state-funded um, and passing out, uh, giving uh, state-funded uh, VR headsets to students. And now I'm separating from big daddy government and bringing that course to the public sector. And so um, as of last month, we just got a contract with Metro Parks. So we're going to be in 36 schools. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 So it is money. I have a question for you. Uh, one, I'm starting to hear about your father. Um, what was it like making that first sale? <laughs> it, it was it was the most gut wrenching feeling because um, I bat for me I battled with a lot of mental things first off. Yeah. Um, and once I realized that I had this self sabotaging thing, I yeah. felt it at that moment. We all got that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and. And it's just as much as I can talk myself into something, I can talk myself out of it. Yeah. So this time I said what needed to be said, a little bit less than what was needed, and then I shut up. And they were like, oh, wait, here you go. And uh, with the contract, uh, they actually liked it so much uh, that they told us that they had set aside money for us and agreed before we sat down to that first meeting. So it was nothing to worry about. He didn't block your own shot. Not that time. By the way, just as a um, as an aside, like for sales, a lot of times, like if you just say less, you actually get the sale. Because the more you talk, the more you're trying to sell, the more you're trying to sell, less likely you will get the sale. So if you just like state state the value proposition, state the price, shut the fuck up. Stand back. It's their decision. Yes. Um, so it, it sounds like you learned that um, in real time. So good for you. Okay, Can we fast? Can you tell us where you going to give the first prize winner? I'm sorry. Can you tell us you're going to give the first prize winner? Yeah. So let's wave the first prize winner um, for everybody that's actually going up there. Because, by the way, so I did Founders Live two weeks ago, and it was nerve wracking. I literally like speak to teams and people for a living, and it was nerve wracking. Like, you, you, there was no, like, you kind of go here. I winged it. I, I, didn't, I didn't prep for it. I didn't even like look at a slide. I had my assistant do it. And like, I kind of like just went over it right before I went up. Um, so I have a lot of respect. Look, one, I have a lot of respect for you guys for starting companies to begin with. Like it's, uh, I cannot, I mean, I'm literally an Olympic foreigner early. I can't think of anything harder than starting a company. I don't even think it's close. Um, so I have a lot of respect for you guys for, for doing that. And I don't want to, I'm not like participation trophy guy, but I do want to be able to help like everybody for even going up there to do it. 
because you're doing something that's literally like the backbone of this country um, without with, literally without founders doing starting companies uh, initiating ideas and pushing things forward I mean there would be no business owners that's when they employ people to contribute to GDP for the government to tax and you know none of that happens without you guys um, so I would like to offer either free consultant or just a free friendship to literally everybody that you pitch it today. Um, I think I advertised for 30 minutes, but I'm making more than an hour. Um, and just take the opportunity to learn about the companies and see if there's any way that I can help. Even if, so by help, I don't mean like a back channel way of my company making money. If that's even like connecting you to someone who can do a better job of doing whatever it is you need, whether it's sales, marketing, finance, or whatever, um, I'm gonna be able to help you personally with that. And you guys will not get funneled off to anybody in the company. You will, you, you will deal with me directly. Um, so that's what I want to offer to everybody who even goes up here to pitch. So, are there any other uh, companies that are going to pitch that would like to just say anything about your company and kind of warm up or anything like that? No pressure. No pressure. Hey, you're not here a little bit more for me, but um, I think Mike, fantastic. Uh, so, uh, it's always weird hearing your voice. <laughs> uh, so, Koala, uh, you won't see on this because I feel like this is what on the side. Is Koala uh, started, I was running an accelerator at AWS for EdTech, and I wanted to, I felt like multiple choice tests were unfair. Um, and all the research I would see at all these conferences. And I said, okay, let's try to figure out a way to solve that problem. And it ultimately led me down this uh, side channel into uh, finding people who work real jobs with their hands and making their lives easier. And then magically found somebody who's been working on that as well uh, with Michael, my co-founder here. Um, and it's felt like it all came together just in the last couple of months. It's been fun to be out in the world and talking truly about the company um, in this new state. What's been the scariest part about this? Uh, probably all the times that I wanted to quit and go, go get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you want to quit? Well, you know, you feel like nobody gets what you're trying to do, and uh, we're creating new data for the world. So, yeah. you know, comparing that data to things that exist is really easy. This is not the food, but yeah. it, it, admittedly, though, I have a lot of respect for that. So much so that I got out of that game. Yeah. I, I don't try to do anything new. Um, <laughs> drugs, sex, and money is the easiest thing to sell. So, I'm like, listen, I, I'm not a smart guy. Let me just, let me just sell something that people already need. Um, so I have a lot of respect for Are there any other founders that kind of want to warm up before they go up? So actually, we can move on to the picture now. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Byron. All right, so let's start the pictures. Uh, first, I want to thank Kevin. Uh, he set all the live stream for us. If you need any live stream for your own company, you know, reach out to Kevin. Give Kevin a round of applause, please. People pitch and just remember, like, don't pitch to the judges like this, you know, don't go on this black square. If you go on this black tape, you won't be on the camera. This is also be a live stream on LinkedIn, YouTube, you know, all the places. And after pitch is over, I'll send you all the videos so you can reuse it right. Um, for the judges, there's, there's no criteria, right? It's totally on the judges to decide who's going to win, right? They can do any criteria they want. It might be best voice, best pitch, best company, best business model. That's totally up to them, right? Um, can we go to the, the following slide, please?
So there were some prizes. Uh, Close.com is giving the winner fifteen hundred dollars in a free sales a subscription. There's a sales RM. They focus on companies of four hundred fewer people. Dev Max, their startup out of Startup Hall, ran by my friend Emily Gonzalez. Basically, what they do, I mean, hire developers. You tell them your tech stack. Well, I'll give you my example, right? I just use them. So I hired a software developer. I gave my tech stack. 125 people applied. Only 90 took the assessment, right? Based on tech stack. Of those 90, only 14 scored 50 or above. So instead of you talking to 121 people, I would have to talk to 14 people, right? So they're going to do a for free for a month. Then my friend Andrew Klein runs the accounting. He does uh, bookkeeping, accounting for business, startups and businesses that have value. So those are the prizes. That's what um, Byron is given. You also have a community prize. Can you talk about community prize real fast? Yeah, sure. So um, with the community prize, I feel like my voice is loud enough, so I won't, um, I won't use the microphone. But with the community prize specifically for Tacoma, the startup ecosystem down here in Tacoma is really growing and building. And fun fact about me, I'm actually a Tacoma girl by heart. So I grew up here in Tacoma. And the fact that I get to bring new innovation, people, and technology to where I grew up is means the world to me. Um, as you all know, there's a famous candy out there called Almond Roca. Um, Almond Roca is actually from Tacoma. So I went to Almond Roca and cultivated a uh, a gift basket for the community prize winner. In addition to the gift basket from Almiroka, I also threw a bottle of wine in there for Was from Washington State. And uh, the bound or the person that wins the community prize also does get a free month at the Makerspace sponsored by Startup Two Five Three. And Mito um, from Innovate Social is also going to give the founder an opportunity to Nito, one. Um, yeah. Nito, can you raise your hand? Thank you again. Um, this prize is also sponsored by Innovate Social. So this person will not only get a pitch practice with Nito and her team, but in addition to the pitch practice, you also get an opportunity to be, be featured on her podcast called The Good Pitch. Um, and then Jason is also throwing in a HR consulting session or an HR session. Or overall, like as an example, um, a few years back, we had a founder go through one of our programs. They had a death in the family and they didn't know how to handle a scenario like that. So whoever does win the community prize, it's literally people from the Tacoma and the startup community throwing prizes to help out that winner. know too I really do like to emphasize using local Tacoma businesses for all of the food and vending so with my recommendation I actually did let Jason know to use Zeke's Pizza which is locally owned here in Tacoma as well. All right, before we start pitches, this is a network event. You only have me at least one or two people you haven't talked to before, right? I mean, there's no use of a network event. You can go a little circle, a little click, you know, like me and Aubrey talk, Aubrey talk, we know each other, right? Talk to someone you don't know and make a connection. We're going to start the pitching now. Pitch of three minutes. After the pitch, each of us asks one question. The first person up is Alec. Thank you. Um, how are we going to do the slides thing, by the way? Should I just do something like, like this? Or hand motion? Yeah, hand motion will work. Okay, cool. 
Hey everyone, my name is Alec Maslow. I'm the founder of Figio. Uh, we're building an entertainment ecosystem with a game at its core and a digital comic book spin-off and an NFT collection that represents co-ownership of the characters. Our flagship product is introducing Ultimate Fantasy Battle, a tabletop dungeon crawler with a mobile app that makes it easy for anyone to play. Find treasure to power up your character, then move into attack position and unleash your weapons through the app. Collect dozens of colorful game maps with exciting themes and original characters called god levels, each with their own unique ultimate move that can turn the tide of the battle. Fully digital and augmented reality versions are coming soon. Pre-order the collector's edition so, uh, we have a board game and mobile app at uh, the core of what we're building that's going to be the first flagship product we launch. We're building a Unity app, which is going to turn into a fully digital game and an augmented reality game. Um, so we have big plans for this in the future. Part of our business model is uh, when we get a consumer to buy our board, we are going to produce new boards to keep customers loyal, to keep customers coming back, to keep the gameplay experience fresh we're going to be producing boards over time. And characters as well. Our main characters are called God Levels. Uh, these are playable characters in the board and uh, main characters in our comic book. These are NFTs that can be owned by investors and brands. Each NFT has its own custom game piece and a unique ultimate move, which keeps gameplay fresh and unique. Our digital comic book is called Stellar Dream. Uh, we have a live prototype up on our website. Basically, you can click through the comic book on a character and it, it's linked to a character page. So there's additional technology layers on the comic book. Our business model is simple. We are going to be selling boxes of games and then accessories, including game maps and game characters. Uh, we've already sold some NFTs and we plan to sell more this year and next year. Then when we launch a fully digital game, we'll be selling skins and other digital assets. We've already got thousands of playtests, hundreds of app downloads, We've got some revenue in the door from a Kickstarter campaign and NFTs. We have uh, some really good, high-quality NFT holders and big progress on making the physical game and the digital game. We're going to be uh, wrapping up a crowdfunding here pretty soon and shipping the first boxes this year. Next year, we're focused on selling more boxes, selling NFTs, getting revenue in the door and making a real business. Uh, and then, you know, we hope we're going to be able to do an anime and a video game soon, too. We're a team of builders, nerds, artists with experience in gaming, tech, and blockchain. That's why we think we're the right people to do this. And uh, our god level holders include partners at VC firms, uh, stars of Netflix documentaries, entrepreneurs, etc. We have a Kickstarter campaign that's live right now, and if you want to get in on the future of gaming, please uh, check out the QR code and pledge your support to our project. Thank you so much. I wanted to know, Alec, what age range of youth are you trying to target with this? So there's a few different target audiences that we have in mind. Uh, the first is 10 to 16, just kind of like, you know, middle school, high school age. Um, the second is gaming nerds, which demographics vary wildly for that. Um, uh, those are the two kind of core uh, groups that we're going after. 
I'm interested in how the NFTs and the character ownership works. I, I, yeah. Do you guys have a model for that? Or? Yeah, we're still building it out. Um, we want to share revenue with the holders, which means it's kind of in the security territory. Uh, all of our holders right now are accredited, and we're not going to be selling to non-accredited holders. What we really want to do is create a platform where brands can own characters, like McDonald's or T-Mobile, where you know we can create a character with their branded colors or their messaging, and then link it back to them. But it's got to be more of a sophisticated kind of investment product at that stage. So it, it's not available to retail investors. Uh, it's not available to people who are not accredited right now. Things. That's a great question. Um, the first, I invented the game with my nephew. He's 10 now. But we invented it when, when he was 9. Um, we played on a park table, and I held his attention for 2 hours. And I said, I thought, if I do this, maybe there's something there on a, on a bigger level. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about developing a board game is that we test in person, so we get dynamic feedback from, from users on the play experience. We, we can iterate really quickly uh, based on how people react and what bugs we notice during that interaction. Um, and I think we were talking a little bit earlier, I really like the concept of having physical sales. Even though it's harder, you have logistics, you have manufacturing, um, but having a, a physical sale with a customer feels like a good thing because you have a concrete product that they pay for and they get enjoy the experience, you get the transfer of the money. So it's like a... Um, uh, ethical business deal, I guess. Uh, whereas, you know, with, with some other products or consulting, it's not always clear what the customer gets in return, right? Um, and so the nice thing about what we're building is that we also have a digital component and we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can use the digital product to launch fully digital products without the board game. Um, and if that is what where the traction goes, then that's what we're going to invest in. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to the next, next presentation. <coughs> so the next one. Yeah, do next. So uh, I'm going to try to do this like little like Princess wave. <laughs> I guess this. I guess. I guess this is the move. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, so this is Koala, and we we have a, an opinion about this. So, after two decades of changing and revolutionizing the way that we speak to audiences, it's time to think about the way that we listen to audiences. So, we created this company to make listening safer and more human. So, and we're going to start with work because it's unique and everybody really doesn't like their jobs right now. If you're on a call with five people, only one person wants to be there. Just one. In our current tools, go ahead. Jake's slide, there we go. In our current tools just aren't really telling us what we need to know here. Every board deck has a slide that's telling you that your, your employees are generally content. Even in the midst of massive layoffs, ask people about last year. The truth is closer to this. 
Some of your employees are thriving, and some are ready to leave. Take a guess which one has a bigger category. Go ahead. So how do we do this? We use AI to be more human. So you can ask your employees simple, open-ended questions and listen. So it's a conversation. And it creates a feedback loop that you can collect information about and take action. Go ahead. But today, you came in and saw a spike in pan equity concerns. What happened? How is this complaint different today than it was a year ago or six months? And Koala also works in reverse. We're going to find out why your employees love their jobs. You can track that over time. We think that's kind of neat. Switch out a little. And go ahead. Next slide. There we go. And hey, remember essential workers? Nurses, manufacturing, retail, people like that? These people don't have the time, or more importantly, the space to fill out your survey. But with Paula, we can get their feedback. We can find out what's going on. So this is where we're going to start. Go ahead. And we're going to use a simple yearly SaaS subscription model. Our unique data that we're creating based on voice should have lower than average churn. And we're creating a data collection process that is a conversation loop that happens ongoing. We're calling it SAMOR analysis, and we're actually in the process of getting some experts together to sort of define what SAMOR analysis is. So whether that's employee engagement or things like that, the name, it may change. But that's where it's starting today. It's pretty exciting, and from the little bits that we've been able to talk with HR experts and management consultants, we feel like we're on the right path. Go ahead. Now, employee engagement by itself is a $3 billion channel. So already pretty big. But it's not the whole story here. The lessons we learn in this space become a catalyst for a choice. On one hand, we become more of a consultant, more of a pollster, um, sort of really lean into say more analysis and our new data, and become a consulting business. And Jeff, you have 15 seconds left. Okay. On the other hand, we become uh, more of a voice of customer and give uh, influencers the opportunity to track their audience out there. So go ahead and check. Next slide. Regardless, we have the team. We can build the product, generate the leads, and close the sales. Um, our weakness here is obvious, and early investment, we're going to be focused on diversity for our first leadership hires. Go ahead. So where are we today? We're pre-revenue. We have provisional patents. We've done over 100 customer interviews. Uh, we're working on our prototype today, and we're going to be building up test customers in September of this year with our plans for our first paid customers by the end of this year. Last slide. Now, we are prepared to bootstrap our way all the way to our first customers, and maybe even all the way through the first year. But for the right investor, we can do a whole lot more. And to do more requires an investment, so we're raising uh, $4 million in that case with a preferred term of a safe. Uh, if that's not your thing, we're very much focused on getting test customers and people that are passionate about a problem or our solution. So if you're sitting here listening to this and thinking of all the ways that you can listen or possibly get your people to say more, come and talk to us. We're ready to listen. All right. No question for the judges. I was curious. Use the microphone. So I was curious to know, Jeff. Some employees have different type of communication styles, right? Mm -hmm. How does this platform account for that? Because I'll use myself as an example. Like I am very very blunt compared to other people. 
at Maritime Blue. So sure. what I might say could be taken as very, very mean, but it's just me being one versus other people in the organization that they're not as one as mm -hmm. I am. So with your technology and, you know, like the voice or the listening capability, how does that account for different people's communication styles? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're talking about an uh, aggregated communication. So the conversation between me and you, that's going to be a conversation between me and you. We want to maintain that. That's a human experience. But if you sat down and had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a large organization, our target is typically somebody who has more than 500 employees who can't sit down and talk to everybody. So we're going to aggregate that voice together and, and sort of cluster out the attitudes that are in, in that and then uh, track that over time. So it's not really the um, tone of what you're saying. It's how that aggregates with all the other people working with you. Hey, I have a question. Um, where would the four million go mm -hmm. um, in a line item sense? Like specifically, <laughs> sure. what was the four million? Uh, you're talking about an execution team uh, for that. So it's the expansion into one of those paths, and you're essentially talking about like a listening social media path where you know, Oprah is famous, but why is she famous now compared to why she was famous a year ago? How is that trending? What does that mean? Well, we would build that product, and we would need that team to build that product. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of component parts to that $4 million. Um, essentially, it's a whole different stack that would uh, come into the company that needs to complement all of our co-founders' capabilities. How will you encourage employees who distrust the company or assume that they say something negative, it may come back at them? How will you encourage them to speak up? Sure, sure. Uh, we think that we're going to enter a whole new space for that, so I'm really excited about it. We're using this kind of daily counter anonymity, um, and so you can think of every way that you could get to a web app or anything that would, that would transmit um, some, uh, some audio piece, whether it's like an easy button, um, or the, the practical application is a QR code that's sitting in the break room. So anyone would use their device, get the sort of your number 64, and then just, how did, what happened today? What did you learn today? What went well, what went poorly? And then collect that data so that and you can open that mic up and share whenever you like so that that information gets aggregated. You can think about the quarterly uh, employment surveys that people do. If your employees are diligent about it, they're saving the open text block because you don't typically reference back to last year's survey to see what's going on. So this at a minimum is going to add that, that kind of trust. And a lot of that trust, I think, is lost because people write this you know, novel about what's wrong with the company and nobody does anything about it. Yeah. Next person here is Leanne. Leanne. Yeah, Leanne actually has no slides. The most dainty microphone I've ever experienced. I'm talking into a sharpie. No slides. Pitch decks are to entrepreneurs what colonoscopies are to, well, anyone, right? <laughs> I mean, both are recommended and leave us feeling vulnerable and exposed in a room full of strangers. So here we are. Uh, speaking of exposed, I've been doing comedy for over 20 years. And a lot of people don't realize that majority of comedians out there don't get paid. And many of them, when they do get paid, actually get paid a minimal flat fee, or it comes in the form of a free burger and beers, some tips, or exposure. 
I mean, my goodness, I've been exposed so many times that I may as well have an OnlyFans account, right? But that's a different story. The other way that comedians can get stage time is if they bring in uh, five paying people who bought, bought five tickets and then stage for five minutes. And then those five friends have to also be uh, succumb to a minimum of drinks, they have to pay for parking. Some of them may have to invest in an angsty teenager for a night of babysitting. And that's a lot to ask on both sides. I mean, especially for an angsty teenager. So what we're doing is we're taking the traditional comedy club business model and tossing it out the window. And we're offering a live and interactive online comedy club, but in the form of a two-sided marketplace with a SaaS component. So let's look at it this way. What do you get if you took Zoom, Yelp, Etsy, and a bunch of comedians and mix them all up? What would you get? Something plausible. We're plausible, and I'm the founder. That's right, and we're offering a live online comedy club. And on one side of our marketplace, we have comedians who now gain control over their earning opportunities because we're providing them with the scheduling tools, the virtual stage, the ticketing services, and the ability to grow a worldwide fan base. So comedians on Plausible are independent creators who write, perform, and produce their own shows. On the other side of our marketplace, we have comedy fans who can come in and they can now find comedy in a global talent pool in our comedian directory and log in and watch and be entertained with live comedy online from the comfort of their home, office, or wherever they are, right? And thanks to our unique screen layout and our audio design, our fans don't feel like they're on some sort of conference call with Scott from accounting. No offense to Scott, no offense to accountants, all necessary, right? But speaking of work, let's say you were there late and you missed one of our live shows. No problem, you can catch a replay in the past shows library. So Plausible has already participated in an incubator, two accelerators. We received, we received our pre-seed round, which got us to phase one of development. We launched in December, have 30% average monthly growth rate ever since. We are generating revenue thanks to corporate clients, which is a pleasant surprise and welcome income, not in the form of burgers or beers. And uh, we are also deploying phase two. So just like your college kid calling home from college, we're fundraising. But we already have 6% subscribed, and just like your single friend looking for someone with a great sense of humor, so are we, comedians and fans. Plausible, giving it laughs, live stand-up comedy from anywhere. Leanne, I'm curious to know what made you want to take the traditional comedy club experience because Thank you. Because I've noticed like sometimes, you know, people would want the in-person experience. So are you specifically trying to cater to, let's say, like people with disabilities or other ADA tendencies that, you know, it might be a little bit harder for them to leave their home to be able to get to like a comedy show or something like that? Yeah, great, great question. So. That's actually, uh, I see that in two parts. So the first part of your question is, I, I, can't, I don't believe we can replace the magic of an in-person event. There's something to it, and I just don't see how that could possibly be replaced. However, I can create a magical experience online and with what we've built, because it's designed for online entertainment with a live audience that can all see and hear each other. 
To your point about being uh, ADA and accessible to maybe people who might not otherwise go to in person, absolutely. And I'm actually finding that with our users that are already on the platform. They're like, I can't go out for this reason or that reason. I Many clubs that I read about this in private Facebook groups all the time uh, where comedians are talking about their experiences, there's very few clubs that are actually ADA accessible. So yes, I am finding that already. Thank you. I'm biased because I like you, and my older brother is a comedian. I love it already. <laughs> um, but what I mean, because I'm familiar with the comedian mm -hmm. um, most of Rome. Yeah. What is the average income that you're shooting for for the comedians that sign up on the platform? What I expect it to generate? Sure, yeah. So that can vary based on experience and where they are in their journey. So um, there are going to be people, I think this is going to be on this, on this spectrum, right? Because there are some people who are new, not well known, or may not have the skills, but they can come in and they can, let's say, for instance, just kind of give you numbers. Even if somebody who comes in, uh, let's say someone who's more experienced has a following on social media and can invite their fans over. Let's say they're doing clothes already and they kind of have a following. They can come in, let's say they sell uh, uh, 100 tickets on Plausible, right? At $5 a ticket, that's $500 that they can make in an hour for an hour show. If they book another comedian, then they can pay that comedian out or however their verbal agreements or their agreements are with that person. Of course, we take a percentage of that. But if they, that same person goes into a club, they're going to get typically a flat fee. And if they're only doing guest spots, they may not get anything at all. So, um, typically, so if they're a headline or something, they may be capped out on the room size also, so they may cap out at 99 seats and on plausible or on the internet, so. Do you so think you guys, sorry for a second question, mm -hmm. do you think you guys may uh, transition to the point where you're selling tickets to physical, physical shows? Um, there's a, so that's interesting. So we're not doing just tickets, so like someone couldn't post their in-person show and sell tickets for that. Um, I mean, they could, but then the people online would be very upset and probably want some refunds for them for not showing up online. People are asking, and what we're experimenting with is what if I do a hybrid? What if I set up a camera and I have people online watching me somewhere in a club so I have both an in-person audience and an online audience? But the interesting thing is the people online, on the online audience, love the fact that they, they feel more intimate and they feel they have a connection with the comedian as they're going through the set because they're in the room. So we're experimenting with that so that there's potential to have both. But the tickets in person would most likely go through the venue. Okay. So actually a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. So I know that a comedian can sell tickets on their own. You also offer a subscription model so a person can have access to all comedians or a subset of comedians, or is it mostly the comedian themselves are responsible for bringing the crowd that will beat them? Great, there's a couple, there's three points in there that are excellent, so thank you for bringing them up. So, um, a subscription model, a lot of uh, platforms are doing something like that, like a Patreon or a Luminary for podcasts and things like that. And what we're finding with comedians, although they're generating some money and some revenue on that, when we log into something like Netflix, we're subscribing to the whole thing rather than I'm not just going to look at this after all of the time of this specific director. So it does make it challenging. And then that person, a comedian, it's, a lot of comedians write a lot, but is it always good? So what are you getting for your subscription? 
right? And then, do you know, I just want a picture of what they ate for breakfast? Not necessarily. So that's kind of limiting in a sense and a lot of pressure on the content creator. Uh, as for the other part of that, which was... Uh, is, it, is it the comedian who's responsible for bringing... Yeah. So what makes us also different is because we're focused on a two-sided marketplace. I'm also promoting the comedians and their shows. Like, I'm giving them shout-outs to help promote them putting out in our email list. We have a a good email list going for both comedians, fans, registered and unregistered. That draws people in. So as other comedians come onto the platform and they bring their, their fans and followers, fans and followers can't watch a show on Plausible unless you log in. And now that you're logged in, you're on our email list and we can, we can promote other comedians that you may like also, and you may now become a fan of somebody else and watch their shows. So we're kind of pulling together all the resources so that people don't have to struggle so hard to promote just on their own. And that's often the case within other clubs and things like that. So we're even helping the comedians out. One of the things we'll do is uh, we're going to be making their profile pages public, kind of like a LinkedIn for comedians so that they can share it. They have their ratings and reviews from plausible shows on there. And people can access that, but again, to watch their past show library or watch their live shows, they need to log in so that we can capture them and then also help them seek out other comedians for life. Thank you, Leanne. <laughs> so next presenter is Stephen Buchanan. Right, so I gotta stay right in here in the back. There we go. Hi. Hey, I'm Steve Buchanan. I am the founder and CEO of TUI Rentals. We are an innovative solution to furniture rental, but we're actually growing into an innovative solution to the corporate housing market. So we all know what corporate housing is, and we all know the problems that you face in corporate housing. There's limited furnishings, and it's all used. And there's limited amounts of corporate housing. It's only those in each city, they may only have a few. And let's talk about the dream of corporate housing. Your promise that it would be this beautiful place, this high luxury apartment high up in the sky with wonderful brand new furniture that is designed exactly according to your needs. But it is not. Oh, go back. Oh, you stole my. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, this is what it actually is. And this is from a uh, furnace in a corporate apartment that someone moved out of and moved in with us. It's used stuff. It's junky stuff. And it's limited. Now look at the next one. The beds are used. Now I stayed in corporate housing once and I got bed bugs. Now I was with the US Army so they didn't really care. <laughs> but we have a better solution. So what we do is we purchase brand new furniture. Anything that the customer wants. So if they want a gym, fine, we'll rent them a gym. The customer uses it, their employer pays for the rental. After the rental, we liquidate the furniture at a quarter of the retail price. Most of the time, our customers purchase the furniture that their employer rented for them. So what does that mean for us? That means we have zero overhead. If someone says, can you rent Syracuse, New York? Yes, we can. We rent all up and down the East Coast. We have customers in Florida, in Tampa. We have them in Virginia, in DC. Next slide. It is a gigantic market. The corporate housing market is 
huge. It's the global market. What we're focused on right now is government employees. Now, all we do right now is we rent furniture to government employees serving on TDY. That's the name, TDY rentals. And that market is still quite sizable, but this is where we're going. Next. Oh, this is our, our traction thus far. So since we really started operating, which was last November or so, we've had about a half a million dollars in revenue. And we expect by the end of the year, we'll have $1.5 million in revenue because we have spent no advertising money yet. That's supposed to start next week. Next slide. This is where we're going. We're going to aggregate, we're going to be the single source solution for all corporate housing. So we can aggregate all of the unfurnished apartments and we furnish it using our just-in-time furniture model. That means you have ultimate selection and it's anywhere. Any unfurnished apartment becomes corporate housing. Next slide. This is our founding team, it's amazing. My uh, chief business development officer is a former US congressman. Next slide. And we have been building up a staff. We have a bunch of interns, one of which is here today. Uh, and you'll notice we have an unfilled position of a marketing director. Next slide. So our ask, we're looking for a marketing director. We're also looking for an advisory board and we're looking to raise $2 million in safety. That's it. So Steve, for um, the advisory board <laughs> positions, because you know we do have a, a good audience in the room, right. what would you say TDY needs in order to really help on that advisory board? So that way, you know, you can really scale this business. Like what skill sets do you feel like your advisory board right now is missing? I would need someone with a level of expertise in corporate housing in the way that it's currently run so that they have the context. Generally, it's contracts that are held with like Microsoft. Microsoft will say, oh, we're going to put 50 people over here. They own the contract. So someone that knows all of those people, that would be great. If you have a plan to mitigate, there must be a huge moving cost, right? When you're using furniture ones, do you have a plan to? There is no cost. Really? My cost of goods sold is between 20 and 30%. We buy brand new, the seller ships. So we have no overhead. And then we liquidate afterwards. So we liquidate, and because we're liquidating, so it's kind of a tax game, right? Right? So an employer can't purchase furniture for, for you, because then the employer would own it. They can't give you money to purchase furniture, because that would be taxable income. So it's a business expense. So they can pay to rent for the furniture, pay to rent the furniture. Now, normal furniture pays itself off after, after three months. So who would rent furniture, except for these people that have to? So because we give our clients the ability to pick whatever furniture they want, they pick knowing that they're going to be able to buy it for a quarter of the retail price as soon as their rental period is over. So for example, we have uh, new mothers in the Department of State that send their women back for 90 days. They get TUI. So do their dependents get TUI. So they get $45,000 to spend on lodging three months. And nobody else rents baby furniture. We rent all of that stuff for them. They buy it and then the government ships it back to their place overseas. Nobody. 
This is dope. So, <laughs> would you say this is a, a furniture arbitrage? That is exactly right. Okay. How profitable are you right now? So, our cost of goods sold? About 20 to 30%. I, I, I should also do so. Okay, so that would be, so it just depends on if you're talking about net profit or gross profit. So, yeah. so net profit, you know, I have a revenue sharing agreement with my current employees, but I would say that about 50% is just profit, but I'm bootstrapping, right? So I didn't, so I just reinvest everything that we make into the company. The only reason to raise money, we're, we're so profitable that I could just keep going at this pace. But I want to go faster before someone else figures out this arbitrage model. Also, thank you for your service, too. I should have worked that. Um, what are you looking for in that advisory board specifically, outside of access to Amazon? Yeah, so that's the big one, right? Someone that has those kind of contacts is the best thing. Um, I'm going to need, I mean, a lot of money is going to go to dev. So, some, so I have a CTO, but someone that has dev experience is great. Uh, I, I'm an attorney, so I don't need that. Um, Yes, yeah, someone that's grown businesses like this before. You know, any sort of quick growth business. I mean, our market size is huge, so I want someone that knows, don't do this, do this. Don't take this sort of investment, take that sort of investment. How big is the board right now? I've got a buddy who gave me his Amex card. <laughs> that's really, so I, and I don't need to be quick with it, that's honest. He, he's a high power attorney, and he funded my first uh, furniture purchases. Um, and he's not even an official board member. I mean, we haven't even papered it up. So. I want to make a play on that board. Okay. I'm being serious. I'm done. Um, I'm being dead serious. Cool. And I want to leverage uh, everything that I have between both my investment banks now. Sounds great. Um, and I can also probably help you get the next few board members as well. I'm down. And I love Texas. Austin is awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'm a Houston guy. Oh, oh I've heard I just happened to go to school in Austin. All right, okay. <laughs> um, I like it. But I'm being dead serious about that. Yeah, and then also, you know, we've thought about um, accelerators like YCOM or Techstars. So an advisory board would be good to, if they have intros to that, or if we need it or not. You'd be well taken care of. Yeah, done. Thank you. All right, let's give Steve a round of applause. So next up is David. David and Taylor. Taylor. That's it. Hi, my name is David Robichaud. I'm the founder of Latin Youth Virtual Education Resource Center. Uh, well. Uh, I myself, I'm a teacher. I teach dialectic behavioral therapy, life skills, and career uh, career advancement for students and teens. I also, I'm also a VR developer uh, and game designer. I've uh, been doing that for about 20 years. Um, and this is Taylor. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm from Houston. Hello, represent Houston. So, who's um, But yeah, um, I am a philosophy professor. I specialize in philosophy of education, and I've taught at um, a lot of different educational institutions, high schools, but then also Texas Southern University and the University of Connecticut. So, what do we do? So, we create VR immersive courses that make education palatable for our students. Uh, so from everything 
from math to programming, C-sharp and things like that, to uh, having fun. We create this and we put them in school. So right now we are, we tell our program for schools and after school program. And we're currently in a partnership with Metro Parks and Tacoma Public Schools, uh, which is coming this fall, which will put us in 36 plus schools out here, yay. Um, and so it's because uh, the reason why uh, people and these companies and different schools are picking up this course so fast is because we're, we're providing uh, a service to a gap that we recognize, um, that you may recognize as well, where technology is moving faster than our society, moving faster than our government, and it's moving faster than educational resources. So our goal is to bring future-ready skills to these students, bring to the door, especially for low-income and uh, low-income and at-risk youth. This, uh, this is a financial tool that will allow them to profit for themselves, and we've proved it with IEP kids, over 51 kids so far in the state. Um, yeah, so our mission is to empower underserved students to develop virtual products and services. Um, we uh, want to empower them to develop um, fully immersive 3D products and services and to be able to monetize the virtual products and services that they create. And why we want to do that? Well, it's simple. We want to be able to create better pathways for them and to the, allow them to empower themselves through these tools that we um, are servicing them um, to improve their economic prospects and their over all well-being. Um, and we do this through um, the courses, but then also through mentorship opportunities and business competitions. We not only talk the talk, but we walk the walk. Uh, we also build these training programs VR training modules for companies. Right now, we are working uh, on a contract with Steris, which is a sterile processing company. So we're building that up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, would the both of you mind kind of elaborating a little bit for me what the student's experience is through one of your courses? Like what, you know what I mean? Like what happens when they put um, the VR headset on and things like that? Yes. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we teach and the metaverse. So we have our standalone program where we put them in. We built this virtual, virtual reality immersive course for them. But we also have... Uh, our metaverse platform, which we're using Meta's Horizon Worlds, where we're teaching these kids uh, visual scripting, C-sharp, programming, uh, uh, how to interact uh, re respectively with AI, uh, ethics on that as well, and uh, all the way from uh, STEM. And so when they put these headsets on, they're putting on the Quest 2 headsets for, uh, specifically, uh, it enters them into a world uh, where there's safety there because there's, well, there, there's protocols for cyberbullying and things like that. And so our teachers, our course uh, teachers are in the classroom with them. Uh, but this is only to pivot. Right now we're working a hybrid learning course. We're pivoting to uh, making all of our teachers non-local. So we're also working on a contract in California uh, with teacher with uh a group of teachers that we have out there to get into some of their schools. And so uh, out there is going to be our first non-local teachers. So with uh, Harvard, uh, this year, uh, by the end of this year, they will have their first AI instructor. So, and that's bad. 
So uh, the way we pivot around it is by making all of our teachers non-local. We can put them everywhere, given access to these teachers. And then, oh, can I add to that? Yes. Um, I just want to add, so a lot of y'all have been talking about um, virtual products and services. So I know there's like games being created. There's like comedy shows that people um, are doing possible cool like our students will be um transforming like these 2d virtual products and services into 3d virtual products and services and they will be learning how to monetize that but then also we will be providing them advocacy services and advocacy training so they will be learning about trademarks legal um rights and all of that um i have a follow-up question as well so sometimes uh vr headsets can be a little bit pricey and especially you know for underserved students sometimes them spending you know about four or five hundred dollars isn't feasible for them to obtain a VR headset so do you both kind of have a game plan around that to kind of help you know those underserved or like the at-risk youth to be able to easily access like a VR headset or another meet or other means to be able to access Black News? Yes, uh, I'm glad you asked that. So previously we were working with the Department of Vocational Rehabilitation. That allowed us to be able to give these headsets out, headsets out for free. Cost on our side, but uh, it's like teaching someone how to use a laptop and then taking it from them. Uh, so we wanted to get rid of that. Now, going into the public sector, it has, uh, it has prevented us from being able to give the headsets out, uh, which we're still working on how to find that out. How to find that out. Uh, I'm in partnership with Meta's manufacturer, uh, Insight, um, which they they manufacture the headsets. And so, you know, that lowers the price for us by a lot. Um, but we have, uh, we have uh, a couple of our friends that uh, are willing to invest in some of the headsets so we can continue to do that for our student. Similar to this, we have student business pitches. So once they finish our courses, at the end of the school year, um, there is project based. So by the end of it, they should have a world built um, in a potential metaverse model, business model around it. So we put them to business through business pitches, and whoever wins business pitches gets to keep the course and other stuff. We get to keep the headsets and other things around it. So our goal is is to bring the whole family around what uh, a dad or mom would say. Hey, this is a video game. We're showing, we're showing and proving that this is a financial tool and Mark Zuckerberg plans for, and Apple plans for this to actually replace the laptop. And I just want to add, so for um, the students that we will be working with in Tacoma that um, because of the Metro Parks um, contract, um, we're going, we are, have um, the funds to be able to buy the headsets and then we're basically going to be renting them out to the schools. And so the students will have access to it for free, you know, whoever is a part of the Metro Parks program. Um, and so they'll just be able to access the headsets for free so it won't be cost. Nobody's buying headsets. Nobody's buying <laughs> Nobody's buying headsets. Except for us. <laughs> <laughs> How are y'all gonna make money? Oh, well, we, uh, I think I'm gonna miss it. No, no, I definitely understand that. So, uh, uh, our right now we're making seventy-eight cents on the dollar, um, and that's for us taking the cost of the headsets. Um, and so that's that's pretty good. Uh, starting off, it was at like twenty-two percent, and we took a lot uh, of that cost, and so. We're, we're leveraging uh, other businesses uh, and what this is doing for the community to lower that cost of the headsets. And plus, 
And plus, Mark is going to find out about us pretty soon because we're like, we're just perfect for a public expo. Yeah, so like, you know, the more um, educational institutions partner with us, like YMCA, we're working with partnerships with YMCA um, in the area, um, and just different schools who want to take these courses, more money will be brought in. We got the Houston thing in common, too. Yeah. I won't get to as you for law school. Really? Almost. Um, almost. But look, you, you made it, so you good. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> you guys have any plans to start? Partnering with community nonprofits who help you know, adverse kids, and so for right now, you mostly work through schools and those schools are the sides. Well, we are actually partnering with different nonprofits and uh, different companies as well when it comes to uh, building their course material. Uh, Super Ladle, um, which is a company that's part that under Startup Two Five Three, um, we partner with them to create their. Uh, they create their VR program teaching kids about how to cook and things like that. So that's interesting. Uh, so we are taking on as, uh, a lot of on-takers and uh, as well as working with different companies to create their VR worlds. We created a comedy, a comedy world. Where's that comedy? <laughs> we created a, 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 a yeah, yeah, there you go. We created a VR a VR comedy club um, that allows people from all over to come there, and that's pretty cool. Uh, and it's it seems that right now since the metaverse is so new, there's a lot a lot of people just trying to figure out what works, what works. And so, but the one thing that they're all missing out is education. Like if you there's a 28 billion dollar marketplace. Uh, uh, surrounding these headsets, and no one's focusing on education. So we've uh, we've hopped to the front of that line. Um, next month, we're going to Virginia, Virginia Tech University. They have a quantum computing uh, conference, and uh, they've allowed us to be able to speak there. And, and for um, historically black colleges and universities and um, minority um, institutions. Yes. yes, and so we're going to be speaking there, and um, and we're going to advertise without shame. Yes, and I would just add that, um, like, in addition to working with, like, Irish students and, like, underserved students, like, um, we're definitely committed to also working with people who've been um, formerly incarcerated. Both of us have taught um, in prisons, and so we definitely want to provide opportunities for them as well. She teaches philosophy to prisoners, and, and, and they, they have a lot of time to think, obviously, so <laughs> they come up with some... Some really cool things. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. My name is Eddie Masiregos. I'm a founder of Future Gen a career discovery platform for Gen Z. We're a company that cares that you know what you do. Now, there's one question I want to ask all of you, and that's, what do you want to do in the future? Because it's something that pops up more than once. And for myself, it has to happen every single time I face a transition period. I first wanted to become an emergency trauma surgeon, I was accepted to go into a medical apprenticeship program at Harvard University, only when I didn't want to become a doctor. What I did from there, I then went to UCDA to study plants and environmental sciences and work with some of the smartest plant science um, researchers in the world, trying to make crop-resistant crops, or drought-resistant crops. 
Then I ended up pursuing management consulting, mergers and acquisitions to then pursue what is now future gen. So I don't know about you guys, but what do you want to do in the future has popped up a lot for me. Now, what is the core problem that is kind of the foundation to this? Well, what future gen is really focusing on is two things. One is how do we get the future workforce to become transition from young adults into getting excited what comes next? And the second half has to do with the employers, which is how do they learn to engage, to recruit, and also retain this talent. Let's listen here are some symptoms on both sides. When you have a future workforce, you are having people that are very unaware of what the future possibilities are. Typically out of high school, you have high school students that are typically only aware of 5% of the total possibilities that are out there. You also have a young Gen Z audience that is paying attention. Like their attention's gone like that. Meanwhile, you have the employer side, which is trying to prepare for a lot of transition in the workforce right now. And I'll be frank, they don't know how to properly engage with the future workforce. For example, each workforce is not always on LinkedIn. For example, they're not always reading the job description. For example, they look at the job requirements and say, wow, that's like me in 10 years from now. So what's the solution? Next slide, please. The solution is actually a, we need to show Gen Z and these young adults how their interests are applied in the real world scenarios. Future Gen is doing this by using social media videos, social media videos, and showing how their interests are applied in real world scenarios. Next slide. Next slide. These next few slides just give you an idea of what it's about or how it's like. People get to engage. Next slide. People get to go ahead and like or dislike experiences that they're, um, they're witnessing. Next slide. Able to align what interests that they have Two career possibilities. Next slide. Explore potential career pathways. Next slide. And be able to repeat and get better and better results. Next slide, I'm gonna quickly wrap it up. Our team here, I gotta say, I was the first dreamer, but over cross time, we have a CTO, five times experience. We have a chief revenue officer, a marketing officer that has 15 plus years of experience. Our chief science officer has 15 or 20 plus years in workforce development, as well as workforce psychology, all apply throughout the solution. Next slide. All I ask is follow us, test out our alpha, and get ready for the beta. Thank you. Hey, Eddie, I may have missed this, um, but where is, what does future gen's revenue? plan look like? Because I know it's um, you kind of helping expose Gen Zers to different career fields, which I think is great, but how does Future Gen intend to make some revenue? The significant point for us in making a profitable business model actually has to do with employers. Being able to build a talent pipeline to the future workforce, but then also, which is not very clear here, but we have every single intention of helping the employers retain their talent workforce. So essentially, 
instead of having an employee leave a company because they don't know how their interests and their uh, future aspects can further be pushed and provided by the company, we can actually show them like, hey, um, you can actually transition from welding or from a truck driver into a leadership position in warehousing inside the same company and save the company money. So I'm not Gen Z, but how do you plan to attract Gen Zers who only know about this very limited potential job market? How do you plan to attract them to your platform and, and keep them engaged to show them, to keep them looking at it? Now, I envision a less than motivated, motivated Gen Zer going to the platform. How will you keep them engaged? How will you keep them flipping through to learn about that other 95%? We've learned that from our audience, it's typically when the question of what do you want to do in the future pops up. And that usually happens when a transition period is faced. So for example, as a high schooler, you may be getting ready to go and apply for college. You may be applying to or learning what, uh, what you want to do after high school in general. Or you're already in college and you have an undeclared major and you need to make a decision. Or when you're a young working professional and you, need to make, you want to make a career pivot but unsure how to. So the stickiness actually occurs typically when the question, what do you want to do in the future, pops up. When you're ready to make that, when you have to make that decision. Yeah, and that's a great answer. I was thinking like, okay, I want to go to college for business, but what do I want to focus in? So I'm thinking, or is it just, uh, do I go to college? Do I not? Yeah, so the platform, you probably see a whole bunch of videos that talk about communication, transportation, and business, and realize that, hey, I'm liking a lot of uh, videos in transportation and business, and how do they cross pollinate? So, revenue wise, how big do you think the growth is? So, interesting enough, I've been working on an updated TAM because our team is getting ready to do a new concentrated focus. If we gave us one more week, we probably would have been able to address that. <laughs> um, the market for being able to go ahead and, again, I'm going to say we're pursuing for the vision, or we're pursuing for the dream, which is we want to become uh, potentially a LinkedIn killer, potentially a new innovative way for, uh, again, career discovery. We're able to save employers money. So think of it from not the small, small businesses, but from like I'm talking like 100 or less employees, but we're talking about 500 and up. Depending on the size of how HR, you know, we've seen some grant opportunities that are saying, hey, if you're able to provide XYZ company a, an ability to retain talent or even recruit talent for $100,000 per year. So just to give an example, we're going to be testing this pricing. Right now, this summer, we're entirely focused on the stickiness of the Gen Z young adult audience. But we're getting ready to actually do the pricing in the future. Thank you. Well, this team all found a round of applause. Great job. Competitions with some people picked.
they're either like one or two people like, what are they doing up there, right? They practice nothing, right? All these pictures are great, right? And clearly that's why I did not want to be a judge. You know, I forgot what some decision to make. So we're fast, I'm putting someone on the spot, they'll probably kill me. But uh, my friend Karina is in the back. This is her first daughter event, so do me a favor, go talk to Karina in the back of the white. This is her first daughter of the event. <laughs> <laughs> so next, uh, the judge is going to go back and deliberate, decide, they're going to decide the first place winner, the community place winner. Until they come back, it's network, there's plenty of food, plenty of pizza, you know, meet somewhere different, and thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. So, um, after the deliberation between the judges, um, we are going to award the community package prize to Black Moose. take off right away um, but in an additional sweetener the three of us have decided to mentor you all as well so that you yeah because we want to see you be successful so thank you so much yourself oh did Taylor leave oh where did you go girl come here you gotta come up and win this Friday <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up.